0: Welcome to Tactical Breakdown. On today's episode, we're talking about leadership from the tactical perspective. Here we go. Welcome to the Tactical Breakdown Podcast on the Islet Network. Your number one resource for law enforcement training. Here is your host, Adam Kanakin. All right, welcome back to Tactical Breakdown. Thank you so much for being here and taking the time and making this a part of your day. Hopefully you're finding the information actionable and relevant to you. And if you are, consider subscribing or following the podcast. I think that'd be awesome and, and really appreciate your support. And if you're feeling frisky, go and uh, leave one of those five-star reviews and, and let us know your thoughts on on what you like, what you don't like about the podcast. That'd be great. So we can we can always make this better and make it for you. That's the whole purpose of this thing. So uh, today's episode, real quickly, is uh, was a conversation I had with my friend Pete Morris. And uh, we talked a lot about Leadership. We talked about different components of, of tactical operations um, and and not from a, a mindset that you would normally get. We don't talk about the um, actions on type stuff. It's more of the, the mindset that uh, leads into it and um, and what you can do before and after events. So uh, really excited that we could put this episode together. Pete has been a, a massive supporter of the podcast for a very long time and, and I let in general. Um, He's also a very accomplished and experienced law enforcement officer. Uh, He's been leading a tactical team in one of the largest tactical units in Canada uh, for a while. Um, And as of the release of this recording, um, is actually now a new staff sergeant uh, with his department. So uh, just honored and excited that Pete could join me for this episode and share his thoughts and wisdom with you today. Hopefully you enjoy it. And uh, let's jump into this episode with Pete. Here we go. Hey everyone, Adam Kanakin here with ILET Network. Uh, this is another episode here on the Tactical Breakdown Podcast. And joining me today, Pete Morris. Uh, Pete and I we had the opportunity to do some training together earlier in the year. And uh, he's been a, a supporter of the podcast and of ILET since we've been going. And uh, just honored that uh, you can take the time and join us, brother. Thanks for thanks for being here.
1: Well, I appreciate it. We've been kicking this around for for a little while. And uh I appreciate you having me on. Um, I really do support the the network and um, everything that you know spins off from the network that you're working on. So uh, I'm honored to be here. Uh, happy to add my two cents based on my experience. And uh, yeah.
0: Right on, man. Yeah. And, and we're going to talk a lot of tactical stuff today. Um, obviously, that's kind of what that's your bread and butter. You're a, a yeah. tactical team leader, sergeant um, for an agency here in Canada. And this is, you know, we had the opportunity to do some training together, um, like I said earlier in the year, and it was, it's kind of neat. We had that, um, this has happened a lot over the last probably year and a half is a lot of this meet and greet that we get initially with people is, is virtual. Mm. And we finally got the opportunity to meet in person. You're like, oh <laughs> man, it's, it's so nice to actually, you know, to meet a person. person. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. It's like, Oh, you're, uh, you're a lot shorter than I thought you would nah. be. Not, not you in person, but uh, not you in particular. But yeah. um, I, uh, I actually, I was, I was joking with, uh, with my wife. I said, there was a, there's one person last year, or I guess it would have been earlier this year at uh, the Ileda conference where I'd known them. I talked to them so many times on, um, on LinkedIn or on zoom or, or whatever it was. And I got to meet them in person and I thought they were my size and this guy ends up being like six, seven, 280 pound, like giant human being. And I'm like, that was not expecting that. Yeah. Who are not you not expecting yeah. that? <laughs> yeah. Um, so we're going to talk a few things today. Um, I know, you know, talking about tactical leadership, talking about different types of intelligence. Um, I know there's some, some concepts like nimbleness that you want to address and we can even get into some of the, um, uh, physical fitness and, and tactical athletic stuff. I know that's kind of stuff that you're also very passionate about. So, yeah. uh, where do you want to, where do you want to start today, man? You want to start on the leadership and and go from there?
1: Yeah. Cause I, you know, that's probably a good starting point. I think it, it kind of bleeds into everything that we had talked about, uh, before coming on today and I, <clears throat> you know, I, um, I guess by, in the way of background, um, 27 years with my agency. Um, I joined our TAC unit in 2001. Um, I've had the privilege to uh, work with some of the finest tactical operators that that I've ever known. But uh, I've also had the opportunity to be seconded to another team for two years, see how things roll over there take a lot away from them and, and bring that kind of stuff back um, to uh, to our unit. And Um, you know, I, I've done a number of different things. I've, I've had the honor of being a a sniper, a sniper leader, sniper instructor, um, you know, have some old, I'll say old because everything's changing in this business rapidly, but, um, repel certifications and done some live repels. Um, and, uh, and I've been a long time negotiator within our organization as well. And, and, you know, that ends up falling into a lot of what we do as team sergeants, um, kind of. Managing negotiations, often taking over negotiations, but um, what I've what I've learned over the last while, and, and I certainly have no extra certifications in leadership. Um, you know, I, again, we were talking earlier. My my views and my opinions on these subjects are strictly mine. They're not the views and opinions of my uh, my organization or my unit. But um, there are things that I've learned along the way with with a lot of experience. You know, twenty plus years of experience doing tactical work and. Um, you know, I think there's some, some value there and, you know, on the leadership piece, I I find that leadership in, in tactical work can often get very, um, academic if, if you follow what I'm saying. Like, I think a lot of times it's, you know, read this book, take this leadership course. Um, and we forget that there's so much more attached to leadership than just, you know, what somebody else has talked about or somebody else's Theory on leadership, or what worked for somebody else, and I, I think sometimes um, we have to remember that it's more than just look. A, anybody that's got experience in in tactical work will be good at solving tactical problems. You you should be, or you shouldn't be in the business. And and that's and and that's going to look to a lot of people like that's leadership. Like that person, that guy, that girl in that leadership role, whether it's a formal leadership position as a team sergeant or uh, higher management within the unit um, or as a team leader or as a as a specialist in a in a certain um, specialty snipers etc oftentimes leadership looks like well that person gets it done every time we throw a problem at them we throw them at a call they always get it done and yeah that's part of it um, but I think what we forget is that there's a lot more that goes on in terms of leading teams and leading people. Um, you know, and and lots of people from the the Jockos and and uh, Echo and, and and all the guys that talk about leadership are they're all saying the same thing. And and I think sometimes I think people are missing it. They're they're hearing it because it's so and so celebrity, well known person that says that thing. But it's a lot of work, and I think that gets lost. I think we forget how much work we have to put into understanding. Hey, is that the right person for this job? And how do I how do I mold them into the type of person, professional, tactical operator that I need them to be to accomplish what we need to accomplish as a team? And being live to all of the other million things that are happening in their personal lives and their work lives, and um, and leading through all of that stuff. The the tactical work is the easy piece, um, but understanding and working through some of the other stuff is where it gets you know, drastically more difficult.
0: Yeah. There's a few key points there that you brought up and, and I'll, we'll kind of touch on them both. The first one, um, which I think is a, is a universally known, uh, thing throughout sports or, or anything, which is the best athletes don't always make the best coaches, right? Best for operators sure. don't always make the best team leaders for sure. Um, and the, the other point that you made there was the amount of work that it takes. Um, and, getting to know your team, knowing who's good at what and who fits into the right roles. I think that is a, the crux of, of, especially for a, a young leader. Um, I know, I, you know I, I had this conversation um, with on another podcast, uh, but the idea was I had issues as a, as a junior leader, as a junior platoon commander, just, just taking the time to just getting to know your, your the men and women under your command. Yeah, um, I think that's it's funny because um, from our perspective, I mean, we have obviously in the Canadian Forces uh, for a young platoon commander, it's you. You have a, a lieutenant um, who is um, super, super green, knows pretty much nothing about the world, can barely <laughs> put their uniform on correctly, and then you have a a warrant officer as their two uh, IC um, who has basically lived the life um Mm. and, and knows the ins and outs of it um and they're the the mentor they're the guide for the young officer um so what they always what we were always told was it's your job as a leader to know know the people in your command know them inside and out and know let the let the warrant take care of all of the tactical technical stuff that's their job
1: yeah
0: you need to learn you need to be the leader and yeah. I think that's an that's a that's a great starting point for this conversation, which is, as a team leader, you know, as much as you you may you know you may have cycled through where you're you get to be you know number one in a stack or two in a stack, whatever it is. As a team leader, you you kind of sometimes have to take a step back and and cool. trust your team,
1: yeah. yeah, to
0: do the work. Yes. And I think I think that's an interesting starting point from a tactical. Uh, Operations perspective, because I I would wager, and again, I I don't have any experience in this in this realm, um, but my guess would be is that can be somewhat difficult sometimes um, when somebody steps into that new team leader role. What are your thoughts?
1: A hundred percent. I would say um, I'm going to try to capture everything you said there, but um, you know, it's a huge, huge step for guys to take. I, I say guys in the generic, but men and women in this in our community. When you move from being just another person in the lineup and you're used to just doing whatever the tasking is that the team leader gives you, and um, you know, my references will be to my experience in our outfit, uh, the team leader assigns your uh, tactical role for the day. So yes, you might be a sniper by specialty, but that's not the only thing you're going to do. Today, you might be the number one guy in the lineup if we're doing uh, warrant service, but if we need a sniper, you're going to be the guy along with your partner that gets deployed. <clears throat> and I think, look, I, I've seen it in my own experience. It was incredibly hard for me moving from being a constable on the team, new guy, to you know developing my own points of view, my own um, outlook on tactics and the application of tactics that evolve over time. But, but let's be honest, your opinion about those things starts to evolve the minute that you are born into this community um, and you you suit up for the first time. Your opinions and your perspective on tactics starts to evolve immediately. Um, and so what what becomes difficult is you move from just being another contributing member on the team, highly valued, very good at what you do, and now you become a team leader. And the the hardest thing you have to do is that step back to say, okay, now I've given out the assignments. I'm no longer the point man. I'm no longer the repel team leader that's going to go set up on the roof and be ready for this. I'm assigning guys to do that. I'm liaising with the team sergeant who's approving everything. Um, it's, it's a huge step for folks cause you're used to being a doer, right? You're used to being part of the action. And, um, you know, the harder step for me was, uh, coming back as a team sergeant and still wanting to have my rifle slung, be the next guy at the door, following the guys in. And it, it's taken me a long time to realize it, that's less of my role. I am I still have to maintain my skill set if I'm needed, if we're short, or um, if the, the, the entry tactics break down to a point that I have to go in and help out, I still have to be able to do all those things. But it's not my primary function. I have to trust that these guys know what they're doing, that they're good. And it's my job to make sure that they're good at it. Um, and yeah, that's that is a huge, huge, huge thing for folks to to realize that I got to take that step back. I have to change my perspective on what my role actually is. Um, You know, and I think oftentimes we don't, I know when I first became a team leader, nobody said to me, this is what your job is. It was just kind of whatever you learned from the team leader before you and how they did things, you applied some of that to how you were gonna be a team leader, but nobody actually defined what the role was beyond, yeah, you, you make all the assignments at the start of the shift, who's riding in what truck with who, um, you make all the assignments for, uh, what, um, alternative tasks somebody might have. You might be the gas guy, you might be the repeller, the breacher, whatever. Um, but beyond that, what is, what is my job in helping to further advance this team and the people on this team? And nobody really explained that. And so it takes a lot of figuring out and hopefully you have the right sergeant working with you that can kind of help you through that and um hopefully when you become a sergeant you have that perspective to say hey I want to groom this team leader to help them groom the people working for the two of us that are working on this team and um again there's no there's no manual <clears throat> on how to do that and what the right way is but um you know starting to look at why does you know officer x always have to be the breacher just because he's the biggest guy in the team maybe he's he doesn't even want to do it maybe he's really not that good at it other than he's got brute force and ignorance that he can use but maybe i want to pick somebody else that's got a more intelligent approach to it and, and everything in our business is turning to um, an intelligent approach to every tactic that we employ because we're going to have to defend it and articulate it later so maybe i want to pick the other person that's a trained breacher and have them look at this problem differently um, but understanding who fits where—it's not—it's it, not next person up, um, which is kind of how I came up in our unit, and, and a lot of folks did. Was you know you join the team, you keep your mouth shut for the first couple of years, you just do the containment jobs. Um, our uh, our operational pace changed, and the things that we were getting involved in changed as a unit, which necessitated a change in where people were in the lineup, whether they were new or not, um, but for a long time you were just you're a new guy keep your mouth shut and we'll tell you what you're going to go and do next and you know if a sniper moved off the team and a rifle was available hey new guy you're you're going to be a sniper okay right i you know i didn't have any interest in the bomb world but that was offered to me a number of times and when i would turn it down the bomb sergeant would look at me and say why would you why would you ever pass this up and i'm like cuz i don't know anything about electronics i'm not handy I want to keep all my fingers because I like to shoot things. So um, not for me. And and so I think, you know, that having that understanding of what somebody wants to do and and what they might be good at or what they think they might be good at. But you only get that by having a conversation with somebody. You don't get it by just assuming or just by plopping them into something, right? Mm -hmm.
0: Real quickly, I want to take a veer off on the side here and talk about succession planning for a minute. Sure. Is that something that's done proactively at the unit level right now within your agency? Or do you think that that's something that's still kind of just left off the table until it's like, oh, somebody decides they're going to retire in four months and now we have to figure out who's going to backfill?
1: Yeah, I think, um, you know, I don't know if this is, I suspect that this is probably the same across most of the other um, agencies around in Ontario anyway, but um, we're trying to get better at it. We certainly have more conversations now than we ever did in the past. Um, I think certainly um, COVID has changed a lot of things. Um, and, and I honestly, I'll be the first one to tell you, I hate hearing COVID as an excuse for things. Um, but in this case, I think it, it certainly has changed how how people decide whether or not they want to come to our unit or go into other lines of work within our organization. Um, I think it's changed how we train. I think it's changed how we look at people. And I think we're, what it's made us is more aware. Um, In the past, yeah, there was no succession planning. It was just like, oh yeah, shoot, we need another sniper or we need another guy to be rope trained. Well, that guy's afraid of heights. Like, why are we putting him out there? Like, He'll do it because we ask him to. And and like, you know, 99% of the people in this business, if you ask them to do something, they'll do it. They might not like it. Um, so yeah, so I think we're getting better at it. I think there's certainly more conversation at the sergeant, staff sergeant, and inspector level in our unit as to kind of what the plans are. I think, uh, I, I don't want to speak for any of the other sergeants in our unit, but I know that I've had conversations with other sergeants about, hey, what do you, what's your opinion of this guy for this role? I'm thinking about transitioning him or her to this. Um, you know, what do you think that would be like? So there's a lot more conversations happening between sergeants, between management levels to, to at least
0: look at those um, you know, pending problems, if you will. No, absolutely. No, I appreciate you answering that question. You brought up briefly, and so I know this is going to be another talking point, which is intelligence, <laughs> yeah. um, tactical intelligence, and and what type? Where are you getting the intel, and how are you utilizing the intel?
1: Yeah.
0: Um, so let's let's touch on that for a minute, and I'll let you kind of just explain what your thoughts are on that.
1: So my my view is, and and uh, I hope I'm not out of line referencing this here, but I wrote an article for the NTOA. Um, for uh, on this exact topic. And the reason I did that was I wasn't asked to do it, but it was becoming a problem for me as a team sergeant, Um, even as a team leader, you would hear you hear this stuff, but you would go to an operational briefing and some investigators would come in in their plaid shirts, pardon my plaid shirt, and they're, you know, uh, and they would just tell you what they thought in their opinion you needed to hear. And it would forever be frustrating to say, okay, don't think for me, just tell me the information that you have based on your investigation. Let me look at that under my lens, instead of you looking at it through yours, trying to interpret what you think I need. <clears throat> because oftentimes, in my experience, what would happen is we'd be sending folks back out and asking them to, hey, go, go verify for us whether or not there's cameras in the lobby. And they'd be like, well, I don't know. Well, I need you to know because that's important for how we're going to do our job. Um are we going to get locked into the stairwell? Are we going to how many people are we planning to encounter inside? Well, we don't know. And it like and I'm and I'm being serious, like at some point way back, it's much better now I have to give them all credit, but at some point it was well, we know that our targets there and and one other person is girlfriend, for example. Well, who else lives there? Well, I don't know. Why does that matter? Well, it matters on a tactical level because I want to know the other people that we might encounter. If you know their names and we can do backgrounds on them, maybe that other person that's in there is a known shooter that changes things for us. Maybe, um, being able to tell us that on the same floor, the guy that we're going after has family or friends that live two apartments down that may want to cause interference for us on our approach, or we might be compromised by those people. So my, my whole opinion on it is, And and I'm sure guys are doing this across the country, but my opinion on it is that we have to be aware of that the information and the intelligence that we're getting from outside sources, that we're evaluating it through our own lens accurately, and that we're just not taking things for granted. I've been guilty of it in the past myself, where you just take for granted that they said they did something. And lo and behold, no, that didn't happen. How, How did you spend the last six hours on surveillance and you can't tell us how many people are inside? And we go inside and there's 15 people in there that we didn't anticipate. Right. <laughs> oh, and it's it a, happens.
0: Hardy. All right. It's,
1: we didn't see them coming in. They were using another door like, it, you know, so these I get it. Like some of these things happen and some of them are unknowns. But um, again, it, this goes to my ability as the team sergeant who who at least in our organization, I wear all the responsibility of what we do when this thing goes to court or God forbid it goes sideways. I'm the guy that's going to have to answer all the questions about why did you choose that tactic? What did you know? And when did you know it? Um, Why that not this, you know, the the whole legal landscape around dynamic entries right now is is really forcing us to be much more um, uh, intelligent about our approach. I, I know I keep saying that, but we really do have to think out every step that we're going to make and articulate on some level, whether it's just, we, you know, we keep it in our brain and we're going to be able to recall that should this thing go to court or to an inquest or an SIU investigation. um, Or we, we plot all that stuff out on paper. Uh, I'm not a big fan of, you know, check boxes to, you know, to, to frame out your planning because I think we need to be more fluid than that. I think check boxes kind of make us look pretty robotic. Whereas if I can articulate, Hey, I chose this method of entry was, Uh, mechanical breach using a mechanical tool. Uh, And I chose that because it would afford us this advantage. Uh, We chose a breach and hold as our method of clearing because of these factors. And I have to be able to articulate that. So to do that, though, I have to look at the information that's presented to me through a tactical lens and not just accept it as given, which is kind of where we were early on in my career in tactics was we just, the investigators gave us whatever I was going to call it shit, but they, they fed us whatever they wanted to feed us that they thought was important. And we just took it. We might ask two or three questions and then we just moved on. Um, and that's never going to be good enough when you have to justify what you've done.
0: Yeah. And there's, um, Interesting point there. And I'm going to, I'm going to try to relay this without spilling the tea here. <laughs> um, but while we were, while I was actually down there with you, there was an incident that took place um, and essentially what information your team, the team got from um, the patrol guys that were there was, uh, didn't match up to what yeah. actually happened and it ended up um, causing a, a pretty significant incident. And so, yeah. I think that that's a great idea or a great concept to start this conversation with is if you're on the tactical side, not just taking information at face value that's coming from whoever's on the scene um, yeah. and doing your due diligence and, and asking those follow up questions to those, those officers that are there um, and kind of really diving in and, and obviously that may not be something for the standard guy, but especially for a a team leader, like that's, that's your job. Yep. Um, And then also, but from our, for everybody listening to this, that is on that patrol officer side of things, where maybe you're going to be relaying information to somebody on a specialty team or unit that there's so much information. you, You have to make sure that what you're passing along is correct information. And if you don't know, that's also, you know, don't, if, if you weren't watching, you know, uh, the three side of the house and you asked how many people went in the back, you go, you don't say no one you say, yeah. I, I honestly don't know. I we don't didn't know. have eyes on, um, you, you
1: know, Adam, just to jump in. Like, I think there's, there's another component to this that, um, as the tactical side of the house, we own the responsibility of, of this part, but how can I ever expect a uniform copper, uh, with next to no tactical experience, maybe they're brand new on the road, how can I expect them to have the answers for me if I never somehow find a way to tell them what answers I need? Right. Mm -hmm. And so that I'm a big believer in, in communication and, um, you know, you'll, you'll always hear people say clear communication. Well, I think the right communication maybe is another way to say that, that if I'm not explaining to the frontline folks, as, and I'm saying I, but I mean as a unit, as a tactical unit, I can be frustrated all day long, but I don't have a leg to stand on if I never showed them what I need them to get for me. They have a, as a uniform patrol officer, at least in the city that I work in, they have a million other things that they're responsible for. They might interact with, with the tactical team, you know, a couple times. Mm-hmm early on in their career, depending on what part of the city they work in, they may never see us. So I can't really be frustrated with them if I at least don't give them some education. So, you know, we're as a unit trying to get back to, we used to do, um, so our, the old shift pattern was a five week rotation. And on the Thursday of your last afternoon shift was like a training day at the divisional level. And we used to regularly send guys from our unit to go, talk to the people on the platoons and educate them about, hey, here's how you can keep yourself safe doing containment. Um, And here's some of the questions that we're going to ask when we get there. If you could have those things done for us, that would be great. It's the same thing with, and I I give the uniform folks a lot more latitude than I would say an investigator who uses us regularly, who should have some understanding of what we're going to be asking for. They may not have all the answers and they're still going to, they're still going to look at those questions that we pose to them or that, that they have already, they're still going to look at it through their investigator eye. Uh, and we're still going to have to translate through a, through a tactical eye, like, yeah, that doesn't work for us. You know, for example, we've had guys say to us, well, just, yeah, there's a fence in the back. It's, you know, it's three and a half, four feet high, which means it's probably five or six. Um, and you guys can just, you can just hop it and go in the side door. And had to say to them, I'm wearing roughly 60 pounds of kit. um, And there's 10 of us, like the racket that we're going to make doing that, that, that doesn't work for us. So, you know, again, positioning it as a suggestion rather than this is how we want you guys to go in. Um, But my point is, if we don't tell people what we're looking for, then how can we be frustrated when they, they give us garbage? Mm -hmm. Right? So, I think we have to own that part of it. If, if your tactical agency isn't somehow involved in educating, at a minimum, the, the investigative units that you do most of your work for, then you really don't have a whole lot to be upset about when you're getting garbage information from them. Because how do they know what you need? Unless they've got somebody in their unit that used to be in yours, how can they really know what you're looking for? So I think that owning that education piece is on us. Um, And it's, it's valuable.
0: Yeah. No, I I couldn't agree more. I think that's a fantastic point. And I like the idea of having your guys, having team guys go in um, and, and address and, and and talk with, right. And even at the, even at an academy level, right. Hey, here's, if you ever come across us in any way, shape or form, you know, here's what we're going to potentially be asking you for. Right. Talk
1: about talk about a leadership opportunity. Talk about uh, an opportunity to grow your people. Um, You know, there's a great opportunity in sending people out to do those uh, divisional lectures or um, presentations about the emergent, uh, the um, evolving situation in your tactical unit. um, That whatever the case might be, that if 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 I can send new guys from the team and I always like to try to pick a new guy and a senior guy and have them go together so that one kind of balances the other out. There's a good chance that younger people on the platoons at the divisions will, um, kind of, you know, they'll, they'll attach themselves to the young person that you sent from your unit. Like, oh, wow, there's a young guy that works there. I could get there kind of thing. And the older person will balance that, that conversation out with experience. But what a great idea to we don't get a ton of time testifying in court anymore in, in our city. And so what a great way to get people talking in front of people so that maybe they're, they're a little bit calmer when they have to testify um, to articulate tactical action and tactical decision-making, which again, makes them better at their jobs. And maybe you learn as a, as a tactical leader through that, eh, that person's not going to be great at being a team leader because they can't even communicate to this group of other police officers kind of thing. But I, I just think there's a whole host of value in that.
0: I think that also plays into the, the next point that we want to touch on, which is that tactical nimbleness and, and mm-hmm. finding different applications for your skills. But I do want to go back to this real quickly, just because um, it's just cycling through my head right now. Yeah. I think what a lot of people don't re- and I think they, it's realized, but it's never really just broadly talked about, which is um, if you have an academy, right, there's there's very few positions in a police force for a new officer where it's kind of just like a revered type of position. And I feel like, I feel like a tactical unit, whether it's SWAT ERT, whatever you want to call yourself that those positions, when, when those guys show up and you're a new officer, usually everybody kind of shuts up and listens. Um, And they're kind of the person that they're like, okay, what, what do they need? What right? So if you're in an academy and you have some team guys come in, they're used to, they're sitting there, they're going through lectures all day. They're going through this, that, whatever. You have some team guys walk in and they're like, hey, listen, let's talk some tactics for a minute. You're going to have eyes and ears in that classroom, right? You're going to have yep. some attention there. And you want to talk about leadership. I think from a, an, just an inherent position, when you when you fill one of those specialty roles in a department, whether it's tactical or otherwise, you you automatically are thrust inherently into a leadership position where... Yeah. Those general patrol officers are looking to you. They're like, this guy probably knows more than I do. So I'm going to kind of follow their lead. Um, and I think that, like you had said, I think that's something that can be just very readily and easily taken advantage of um, and um, should be something that we're addressing when it comes to, to training, um, not just in academy, but throughout the entire service.
1: Well, yeah, and, and I agree 100%. And, and like I say, the, there's so many layers to the value out of that. There's layers for you as a leader in promoting your people, giving them opportunities, um, kind of seeing what they're comfortable with. And it's a learning opportunity for them in terms of their ability to communicate, um, to develop that kind of inner calm when they're communicating with people that they don't know. Um, It's also an opportunity for them to, uh, you know, reaffirm what they know or what they believe they know about tactics and and how that applies within their agency. But it's also a huge recruiting opportunity for your unit um, in terms of recruiting young officers that are out there in the field. Um, The you know, we talk about the intelligence. Well, if I've done the education piece and that that communication piece that I talked about through these divisional lectures or lecturing at an academy, then I'm building better intelligence coming back to me from these people that I've spoken to when I see them on a call. Um, You know, you you've educated them a little bit on what to expect when they see you a lot of times uh, in our organization. You know, we kind of joke about it, but our unit will pull up at a scene and everybody collectively it's good that they you know, they can take that pause and go, okay, the guys are here, they're going to take care of us, whatever. But a lot of times it's okay. Uh, the TAC units here, I'm going to put my gun away. I can turn my back on what I was doing because they just assume that we're just going to spill out of the truck and take over. And that's not how we do things. And so if we can educate them on, Hey, here's what to expect when we get there, here's what we expect you to keep doing until we tell you not to, or ask you not to, uh, and here's why again, you know, again, communicating thoroughly with people is important. Um, then yeah, like I, there's so many layers and so much benefit to, to doing those divisional or academy lectures that uh, on, on all sides of that equation.
0: Absolutely. And I, I like that um, the concept of getting in and speaking in front of people, um, you know, uh, common misconception, fun fact, common misconception that they say public speaking is like the most common, um, you know, thing that people are afraid of, which mm. actually isn't the case. But um, that's a psychological conversation for another time. Sure. And, <laughs> Interesting component about this, though, is is on this focus of, of nimbleness and kind of cross training your skills and adapting and utilization of, of different things. That's a great example of, you know, like you had said, if, if I don't have a lot of uh, practice in, in speaking in front of people or presenting my ideas, articulating actions that we took um, on a call or, or in training, that's a great place to pl- practice those skills. Um, what other examples do you want to bring up when it comes to to utilization of, of skill sets on from a from a tactical perspective?
1: Uh, do you mean specific skill sets like snipers sure. repellers
0: yeah, what yeah do you, like what do you, where do you think where do you think those those um, opportunities lie for for uh, for guys to just really you know uh, utilize things in a different kind of way
1: so you know my experience was that um, when I first got into the sniper role on the team that I was on, um, we had two snipers per team and I don't think I ever saw them deployed ever on a call for anything. Um, and you could see why guys were getting frustrated in the program. And, um, my view of it was as a young operator was, well, I got to fight for myself. Then, If, if they're going to put me in this role and I wanted the roll, I wanted to get on a rifle if they're going to put me in this, then I'm going to be I'm going to do everything I can to be hands down the best guy at this job for this team. And, and if we're spending the time and energy training people in specialties, and you can pick anyone that you want. I think those specialists need to fight for their role a little bit. Um, so an example that we had tried at one point, um, and you know, had limited success, but I, I think maybe it was more in the application of how we designed it. But As a team sergeant, I wanted to get us to when we would have our we would have our intelligence briefing from the investigators, when we would partner or we would split away from them and we would have our tactical briefing and decide on the plan. What I wanted us to get to was I wanted to hear from the breacher, right? I wanted to hear from the number one guy. You plan the route. Don't let the team leader have to do all the route planning, all the planning on the breach, all the planning on the lineup, all the planning on this, this, this and this. If you're a specialist, then you should know best how how you want to breach that door. So you tell the team what the breach plan is going to be. If you're the sniper, put your hand up and say, hey, I think I can add something to our uh, our overlay on this. I'm going to I'm going to roll out on my own. I'll take a uniform guy for cover. And I'm going to deploy to uh, whatever corner of the house. And and I'll cover you guys on the move. Um, I, I don't know that we see that enough. I think oftentimes we As specialists, we wait for the team leader to say, "Okay, snipers, go off and do what you do. And here's how I want you to do it. And I think, again, if we're talking leadership opportunities, if we're talking um, knowing your craft, again, whichever specialty it might be, then you should have the ability in a tactical briefing to put your hand up and say, here's what I'm good at. Here's what I can do for you. Um, You know, I, I think we're only limited. And when I you and I talked about nimbleness before i think we're only limited by our imagination and in whatever whatever it is that you're good at in life you could be the best artist you could be the best doctor you know your skills you know what your craft is and you're good at it and you have to believe that you're good in it uh, that you're good at it you have to believe in yourself and so i think part of that is is being nimble enough to change things on the fly if needed or to add maybe things that are unconventional outside of the box applications that maybe we haven't really repped it out maybe we haven't um, done this before operationally but let's have a quick conversation about it i think this is a little bit outside the box let's go ahead and do that Uh, a quick example would be we don't in our unit we don't regularly practice we don't have any Uh, We have a little bit now of training on, say, door pulling using our armored vehicle, for example. Um, So hooking up, whether it's cables or webbing or straps or whatever. We've seen it done lots of places. We've talked about it. Um, And, you know, over the years, there's been some creative application of, hey, this isn't something that we train for, but we understand conceptually how this would work. We understand that there isn't an alternative. This is the best outside of the box alternative so yeah let's punch a hole in the wall let's drop a four-man ram inside there that's attached to the armored vehicle so now it's like a t-bar and let's pull the wall out and now we we don't even have to worry about the barricaded front door for example um, and that leads to more and more conversations about things um, but i think the nimbleness has to happen on so many levels i think you're, you're higher commander so in our unit Above the, the sergeant's rank is the staff sergeants and the inspectors who at a at certain uh, level of, of call, they will attend as well. They have to be nimble in their thinking and what they're willing to let the guys do. The team sergeant, the team leader have to be nimble in their thinking about not just always doing the cookie cutter approach, not just always doing the same debus points, using the same vehicles in the same fashion, entering the same way to the same neighborhood because... Those become patterns. People can identify patterns and that becomes a, a possible risk for us. But be nimble to, yeah, we're going to we're going to go in through the ravine behind the, this housing complex and we're going to do a, a, a move on foot um, and we're going to approach from the back. Right. In using the back door instead of the front door, things that sometimes are are. You know things that we don't talk about but we have to be nimble nimble enough in and confident enough in our understanding of what we're doing and um and our skills to be able to say yeah we're going to go outside the box here and, and try something a little bit different
0: i think that also ties in with the intelligence component right it's for sure the more intelligence you have the more doors get opened up for those types of opportunities
1: yeah 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 like think of um i'm trying to think of an example that that a lot of people listening to this might come across but Um, And and all of these are reasonable to assume that they could happen, but let's say you get an intelligence briefing or an investigative briefing from whatever investigative group and they want you to go serve a warrant on an address and they can't tell you anything about who might be occupying that address regardless of how much time or effort they've put into their surveillance. So you're really handcuffed, especially given the current climate around dynamic entries. You are really handcuffed in what you can do there, given what you don't know is on the inside. Now, imagine if you if you get an investigative group that can tell you all kinds of stuff. Yeah, we looked at neighbors footage uh, from across the street and we know that there's on Tuesdays and Thursdays, there's two little kids that spend time at that house. We know that. Uh, The target has a brother that's a known gunman. He's on charges for possession of firearms in the past. He's a flight risk from police. Um, We know that their back door uh, has direct access to a green space. Um, You know, now with all of that information, and even that's not a ton, now as a tactical leader, I can start to be a little bit more nimble and a little bit more creative in how we're going to tackle this problem rather than just pulling up in front, debussing, hitting kitty corners to contain it. Um, now we can look at uh, at other ways of putting our containment people in the back. Now we know that there's a chance he's going to go out there. Maybe we decide to put a flashbang in the backyard to keep him inside. You know, now, at least now we have information that we can work with. When we don't have information, we're really, really handcuffed to what we can do.
0: I had a thought that just went through my head on the concept of rushing to action. Okay. Um, and because here's my thought, when you talk about you know information uh you know um, i would use the term like pattern of life right so if in the military perspective if we're going to hit an objective we may have a recce or eyes on that objective for a significant period of time establishing pattern of life figuring out what you know on a in a one week time frame who comes in who leaves at what time what are they doing when do they take the garbage out all that kind of stuff which gives you your best tactical window to accomplish you know, actions on that objective. Yeah. It seems to me, and this I know this happens a lot, where you guys may get, you know, a call out where it's like, hey, or a, a warrant that comes through. And it's like, yeah, you, got, you guys are hitting this thing in the next hour or so. Um, and you're like, well, it, it, it's always interesting to me, especially with the current climate, what's happening with law enforcement, where I know it's kind of that hard conversation to have. And, and I want to hear your perspective on this. Mm-hmm. But at what point <clears throat> does the tactical team say, we do not have enough information so we're actually going to stand down on this and, and wait for a better opportunity or establish eyes on and, and try to do our own uh recce on this objective or whatever it is 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 that something that's currently happening and if not what do you think that's something that we should currently be looking at
1: so yeah i mean again i um, speaking to my my own experiences that um You know, something I've said oftentimes as a team sergeant to an investigator is I will never deny you the help that you're asking for, but I need you to do your job first. So, you know, my question would be when when they give me nothing in terms of information about either the target or the address that they want us to go to, do we need to do this right now? Can you go do a little bit more work uh, and find out a few more of these things for us? Is it exigent that we that we move quickly to do this? Um, I think people often forget and, and um, you know, it's unique in the city that I, that I work in that we do get a high volume of emergency calls where there was no pre-planning, we had no information, some uniform folks went and did their job, and now it's, it's beyond their capabilities and they're being asked, we're being asked to come and help them. And so it kind of goes back to our, our conversation about nimbleness is our unit is very good about um, developing plans and contingencies on the fly. Um, it's been remarked to me a number of times by, uh, people in other agencies where they don't have that kind of latitude that, wow, it's really, it's really nice to see you guys work and how quickly you guys can develop a sound plan on the fly. But that doesn't mean that we're in a rush to run into something that we're not prepared to run into. Um, so, you know, you have to remember that we're getting information over the radio There's information coming to us through our in-car computers um, that we, either the sergeant or the team leader, will be broadcasting to the group as we're in transit. Um, So we do have some information when we get there. But to your question, though, I think absolutely we have to be willing to say to an investigator, okay, I'll stop for a second. I'm not comfortable with the lack of information that we have right now. So, uh, something that happens regularly, I'm sure across the board, you know, for all the other folks that are listening in, in the tactical world is we'll send, uh, maybe our number one guy, maybe the sniper or the canine handler out on a recce. Um, and we'll have the investigators drive them by in a plain clothes car, or we'll black it out as best we can. Um, so that they can put tactical eyes on the problem. Um, That way, you know, we're planning our own approaches. We're appreciating where we see motion lights and ring cameras and things that they may not be thinking of. Um, But we have to be willing to do that, that, um, you know, just rushing in just because other people are in a panic isn't, that's, that's not a good plan. That's not how we're going to have the most success. It might seem like the right thing to do. Uh, I can think of a call recently that I was running a team on and, Yeah. The urgency was there because we knew the guy in the house had a handgun. He'd pointed it at the coppers outside. And now there was a standoff and the guys were in a big hurry to try to rush up there. And I had to say, just, we don't have any information. Yes. I want to get up there and help them, but we need to make sure that we have two or three things in place before we go barreling up to the front of this place and spilling out of an armored car kind of willy nilly all over. And in the debrief after, you know, there was some interesting conversation about, you know, could we have done that more quickly and sure. Yeah, we, we probably could have been a little bit quicker. But I think as a tactical leader and as, you know, as a team sergeant or a team leader, you have to be willing to say, I need an extra 30 seconds or a minute to put a couple more things in place before we go put ourselves in more danger by rushing into something we're not prepared for. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm sure it's happening. Um, I think it, it could probably happen more, at least in our in our unit. Um, yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah, it's just an interesting thought right i mean yeah. with everything that's coming out it's you know why did you know I, I, uh, I talk with my friend scott all the time and he's in uh, he's in california um and the 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 cop topic that always comes up in discussion because it's a massive talking point right now is the whole non-criminal barricade hmm. um yep. and so what does that look like right because yeah. it's it's usually a team that gets called out for it because you know the person's armed yeah. or potentially armed. So patrols like, ah, oh, we're going to hand this off to the, to the team. You guys get there. Now it's, well, what do we do at this point? Right? Yeah. Like yeah. We sit on it for the next 48 hours. No, we can't. Cause we have other shit we need to do. And, and what does that all look like? And usually what'll happen is there are those people that are like, screw it. Let's just get this over with. We'll go, you know, like, let's just, let's yep. get the, let's get the game going. And I think that that is that mindset that, Unintentionally, we're putting people in harm's way where necessary, where that could potentially have been avoided using a different tactic or methodology um, when it comes to approaching those situations as a whole.
1: Yeah. And I think you you hit the nail on the head there. Um, It's amazing how all of these things kind of touch back to each other. But again, having the ability to articulate um, and confidently articulate the decisions that you made. Um, If your decision as as the leader on that call was to rush up there and do something, then you have to be willing to articulate and stand on what you did and what the outcomes were, Um, you know, as well. On the flip side of that coin, you have to have the stomach to say, I'm I'm not ready to do that yet. I'm not ready to send you guys into that or to send us into that just yet, um, because I want to be able to articulate what we're doing and why we're doing it. You know, the, the uniqueness of a non-criminal barricade in Canada versus the U.S. Is, is pretty interesting. And again, I can't speak for the rest of Canada. I can only speak for my experiences, but um, it's exceedingly rare, although more frequent, I would say, in the last two years that we deal with a non-criminal barricade where the person is armed with a firearm. Oftentimes, it's, you know, they're uh, in some sort of mental health crisis or paranoid delusion, um, and they've barricaded their doors because they think we're agents for an alien, whatever, whatever their paranoia is. So they need mental health help. We need to get them there. The, the conundrum for um, Canadian police oftentimes is the frontline folks don't have the tools, ability, or training to breach that barricaded door and subdue that person other than a taser and a firearm by and large, right? Um, the fire department, at least in the city that I work in, won't put themselves in that predicament to breach the door for the police. If they know that the person on the other side of the door might be armed with an edged weapon or some other weapon of opportunity, um, and they're violent. So the fire department can't even go there to do it. So we get called. And we have experience and negotiators and we have a few other things that we can do. But even in our business. That you're you're immediately thinking, okay, I do not want to be here for nine hours because what if another call comes in that's more pressing? Um, You know, you're constantly weighing, well, what if we just leave? Does this person calm down and come out? Um, What if we leave some uniform folks here and we come back? you know what if we you know on the more aggressive side if we introduce some gas to try to maybe force this person or make them uncomfortable so that they come out but all of those things come with consequences if um if we do nothing and they kill themselves then we'll be highly criticized for why we did nothing so that's where i'm saying as a as a tactical leader you have to be willing to stand on that decision and be able to articulate and i i would hope on some level you've practiced articulating your, your decision process, but you have to be willing to articulate like, no, the right thing to do was to do nothing. And here's why, um, it can never be, um, well, that's just what we always do. Or that's what we've done in the past that, you know, that worked three out of 10 times, you know, the, the, you know, the percentage of that isn't great. Um, you know, I've, I've heard it said before there's no hundred percents and no zeros zero percents in life. And I think that applies to tactics like there's nothing that we are going to do that's going to be 100% successful and not come with any risk whatsoever. Um, so there's not there's no absolute on either end of that thing. But you just have to be willing to think it through intelligently, articulate it properly and thoroughly and own whatever your decision was. Um, and we're, we're human, right? We're not always going to be right. Um, I think I think sometimes that gets lost on people too. the kind of human side of the tactical world and I think it's lost in other cops too is we're not perfect. We're doing the best that we can with the information that we have, with the training that's available. Um given the 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 constellation of other factors that are in the way of dealing with this situation, we're going to make the best assessment and, and make the best plan that we can. It's not always going to be successful. Um they'll they'll often, regardless of the outcome, they'll be highly criticized regardless. So um yeah the the non-criminal barricade is is a huge problem um you know i think in in our part of the country there there's a lot of good steps being made for leveraging other health professional mental health professionals to deal with people in crisis so that it doesn't um become a tactical problem um but i don't know that that's the full answer yet i think that's still yet to be
0: seen. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, going back to the idea of, um, you know, leadership and everything, um, it's, it's this continuing education component for, for anybody, right. Um, here's a great example. And, and here's just one out of like four copies that I have. <laughs> yeah. Um, for those of you listening on the podcast, I just held up a, a copy of art of war by Sun Tzu. Um, but again, like there's, there's components in here. And of course this was written thousands of years thousands. ago. Yeah. Um, but the, 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 the methodology in here still stands true right yeah you know sometimes the best tactic is to to do nothing at all
1: yep right
0: yep. Think, think very very simple things right um even from a tactical perspective the idea yep. of high ground the idea of you know all of the different things these are concepts that haven't changed over the all of human history yeah that were identified with the very first people that had to do it and it, it tracks back to today. technology has changed um, society has changed. Um, you know, what what is available to us in terms of intelligence gathering and cell phones and all these different things. Everything's changed. Guess what hasn't changed? How human beings work.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Right. And yeah. and this continuing education component, especially for a tactical leader and, and going into kind of all of the things we talked about today. Um, if you're going to be in those roles and now even as an even as an operator, um, constantly just upping your game by, by learning what, who came before you and what did they do and what, and I think the, there's a big, there's a big benefit in learning from other people's mistakes.
1: A hundred percent. Yeah. Right.
0: Like I don't need to go running into the center of a doorway um, to know that that's a great place to start eating some rounds. Yeah. Right. Because Because somebody else
1: learned that for you. Somebody
0: else learned that one the hard way. So I'm going to take that lesson and I'm going (laughs) to roll with it. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's these types of things, right? And hopefully, it's conversations like this, this podcast, and, and some of the training that gets put out there where you start realizing, hey, listen, um, there may be, you know, especially if, if you're a smaller agency, or you're a, a part time tag team, you guys may not have the call outs to have all these different variations and calls. But guess what? Make a call to a larger agency, right? Yep. Start reaching out to people that have have been doing it, right? if you're in the U S reach out to a major agency or reach out to um, a group like the FBI tactical team who coordinate with teams from around the country. Right. It's that, it's that lived and learned experience um, that is for the most part going to give you the best options and the best um, the best uh, way to, to clear whatever objective is that you have to do. I
1: I think, you know, again um, the shared experience piece that you talked about there is huge. And, Um, you know, let's, let's go back to, you're a new operator on a team. You're, you're new to a unit and you're just learning about this whole, this whole community of tactical work, whatever. Like I would say to folks, um, be constantly curious about the job that you just took on. Just like you were when you were a brand new recruit, putting on your uniform for the first time, you were probably, I would hope really curious about policing in general and the community that you're working in and, and learning about how to be a better police officer in general. Well, be constantly curious about how to be a better tactical operator, read books. It doesn't mean, you know, if I read a dozen books by former green berets or Navy seals or whatever, it doesn't mean that I'm taking everything that those guys said as gospel, because a large part of it doesn't apply to what I do it in my role but I can learn things from them. If, even if it's a mindset thing, if it's a planning thing, um, you're learning things from those people, you're learning things from the other guys and other teams around you. And, and to your point about different agencies, I wish that we had a better way to do, um, more of the, you know, the kind of case study presentations. Um, it was the I lead a conference there in the, in the summer that was virtual. And I ended up connecting with, uh, a couple of guys from Dallas that were involved in a couple of sniper shootings down there after watching their presentation and wanted to write them and say, hey, we have a similar tactic and we do something similar. We're having a conversation about suppressors, non-suppressors. Um, you know, Their situation was a, a host, domestic hostage taking guy in a closet. Um, they made an entry and ended up having to engage the guy in the closet. And part of their conversation was around having suppressors on or not on and, and how that might have changed things still a successful outcome for them um but having the ability to have heard that story from those guys in that in this format even though it was virtual to then email them and have a further conversation with them back and forth about that one specific thing um you know is is huge and i wish that there was a better way i think the legalities of a lot of the things that that we've our teams have been involved in kind of get in the way of that and and sometimes we lose perspective on things that happened a year or two ago that are stuck in a, in the court system that we can't talk about just yet by the time we want to talk about it, maybe doesn't have the same, um, you know, doesn't hold the same weight that it did if it was in context at the time, if you follow. And, uh, yeah, and if I, only I,
0: somebody was developing some type of network for, for hmm. law enforcement to share information, that'd be, yeah. that would be a novel idea, Pete. You, yeah, you know what, Adam, that, I'm just going to write that down. That sounds, yeah, like, a great, pretty, yeah. that sounds do. like a great, yeah, that sounds like we'll revisit that one. and uh, <laughs> see yeah. if we can find But, but something. that's,
1: but that's my point, right? Like even, you know, I, I was kicking around a conversation with somebody the other day about, um, you know, the, the, the explosion, if you will, in tactics and equipment for our business over the last, you know, five years, but even 10 years and, and how things have really, um, advanced very rapidly. And a lot of it has to do with, um, connections to other professionals, whether they're ex-military guys or guys that have come to your unit that are ex-military guys and, and kind of pulling the curtain back on some new and emerging tactics. But, you know, part of the problem with this is what works for, you know, let's take tactic X, let's just call it tactic X. Well, it might work for my agency because we have the numbers and the time and the experience to dedicate new training and modified training specifically to Tactic X. In the U.S., where there's a lot of part-time agencies made up of folks that are really busy doing other things that maybe don't get the training volume that they deserve, for whatever reason, I'm not judging, maybe Tactic X is too advanced for them because they won't have the time to practice it and become highly proficient at it. The problem is it might look really sexy and shiny. And and as a small unit, we want to do it because that's what all the big boys are doing. So this ties back in a little bit to the nimbleness piece that I was talking about. And and again, it ties into leadership and awareness and, and confidence in who you are and what you're good at. Sometimes just being good at the basics is good enough, right? Being really good at Move, shoot, communicate, know how to contain and know how to deal with people. Um, The tactics, you know, the, the tactical set that you have for your agency, given your frequency of training and your ability to get together might be good enough. Be amazing at that. Don't try to be LAPD or Toronto police or somebody else that's bigger. You don't have to, you don't have to do exactly what they're doing. You have to be really good at what you're doing. Now, if we're talking interoperability, then, then there's a, there's a necessity to be on the same page. But, um, I just think sometimes we get really hung up on the new sexy thing. Um, you know, certainly in in my experience, in my agency, I've seen us spend a lot of money on stuff that look like this cool, sexy piece of kit to have only to find out that, yeah, we never use it or it doesn't work for our application or we break it regularly. Um, Maybe we should have looked at something else that wasn't as expensive or as sexy, but did the job more efficiently for what we need.
0: Yeah. Contextualizing operational proficiency. Yeah. Right? The idea yeah. is, you know, if you're in a if you're in a small town um, or you're part of a part time agency in a city or something that's more rural that doesn't have a building with more than three floors on it, maybe getting all your guys repel qualified isn't a priority.
1: Right. Right. Yeah. Right. Like, you don't have a helicopter, but you're practicing repelling out of helicopters.
0: Off a skid, yeah, exactly. Right. But it's yeah. again, it's I think that's right to your point, though. It's find out what works for you because your your operational needs are gonna be different than somebody else's. And I say yeah. this all the time on our platform. I'm so opposed to this one size fits all training model that's being just pushed through everywhere right now, where it's well this is what LAPD and NYPD in Toronto are doing. So this is what everybody should be doing. Well, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard because uh, yep. the communities are different. The people are different. The officers are different. The training is different. Like everything is different. Why would we want, like you have to train for what you are doing and yeah. be proficient and excel at that. And then if you have time and somebody throws an extra couple million bucks at you for training, then sure, go do some cool high speed shit. But until but, that point comes, you have to just focus on what you're going to be doing. Like it's yeah. like you had said, you, you know, you know what ninety percent of your callouts are going to be ninety five, probably even more. Right? It's 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 rinse and repeat for a lot of the time. Sure, sure. So we focus a lot of our time, just like with any, just take law enforcement training as an example, right? You spend if you're going through um, your annual requalifications and certifications, right? A good chunk of time goes to firearms. Good time, a good chunk of time goes to you know uh, policy, procedure, use of force, all this kind of stuff. Um, and then, like a very, very small component is hands-on skill sets to control somebody. Yeah. In reality, the we're training the least amount of time for the one skill that we use the absolute most. Yeah. Right, and that's just that. That's just across the board. Yeah. Um, but it happens the same thing in the tactical communities as well. I believe.
1: Yeah. Oh, for sure. It does. And, you know, it, uh, go back to something you said there as well, uh, you know, again, this is the knowing what your, um, what your operational set is, or your operational requirement is going to be, is that how LAPD or Dallas SWAT or whoever handles warrant service is inherently different than how I can handle it in Canada given their laws versus our laws. So knowing what the um, legal handcuffs that you're gonna face within your jurisdiction are play it play a huge factor in knowing, is it worth my time sending guys to take that course at whatever, when most of what they're gonna teach, I can't use operationally here. Um, so understanding your environment, I think is key. Um, and, and knowing, you know, the, the cans and can'ts of, of where you are, and then applying that question to the tactic that you're looking at, like, hey, this is, we might get one thing out of this. And and yeah, a lot of times learning one thing out of a training evolution is great, but we might waste more time than than is valuable to take the rest of what we're not going to be able to use.
0: I think, yeah, a good example of that would, would it be that um, dynamic entry roundtable um, hmm. that we were a part of when I was there. And the The interesting thing I know a lot not a lot of people are going to ever have access to this or see it, yeah. but the the context behind it was is we had um, experienced operators from um, we had uh, municipal, provincial, and federal level agencies, and then we also had a crown prosecutor, yeah. and I think that was the one thing and and I mean ev- everybody kind of took advantage of it where they just kept asking <laughs> pretty much him the prosecutor direct yeah. questions, but. I think that's something that's that's lost a lot of times. Where um, we may have a great idea for some some type of tactical maneuver or something that's going to be really slick as shit and work, um, but you have to play that through until the end, right? Because yeah. at the end of the day, if our goal is to get you know bad guy convicted, yep. there's there's a lot of checks that have to happen along that way. And if you're not clearing, or if you don't, if you're not bringing these ideas to other people outside of your outside of the tactical wheelhouse. They, because he came in with a completely different set of opinions than I think what a lot of people were expecting, yeah. and it's because yeah. he has to he has to take what happens in the field, and now he has to turn that into a winnable case. Yeah. And if you don't, if you're not meeting those criteria, all of the cool shit that you did in the field is pretty much useless because they're not going to be able to follow it through in the court yeah. system.
1: Yeah. You know, it's funny watching that roundtable, uh, and I know Vince, and I know most of the guys that were on the panel there. The one thing that i took away that kind of relates to part of this conversation is um you know when we're talking about evaluating things through your lens and um, maybe more correctly the language that we use and so vince is a highly experienced uh crown attorney um and he talks like a lawyer the whole time and some of the times what he's saying and i, and I mean this with all the world of respect to to him specifically and to the craft of crown attorneys But his language is often uh, lawyers speak about what they think they know about what we're doing. The fall down that we have is that we don't meet them somewhere in the middle to make sure that we're all exactly on the same page. Um, And so I think that there's, you know, between your crown attorneys again, if you're not. If you're not spending time with your crown attorneys, and this was the point that, that I believe Vince was making, was that you have to spend time with your crown attorneys and educate them on what you do. And they can educate you on what the law is that you're allowed to do. And that way you can find what is the best thing to do. Um, but I think that that probably doesn't happen as, as often as it should. And probably a lot of times gets lost in the um, you know dumb police speak versus the highly educated lawyer speak. Um, And again, I mean that with all respect, Vince is not wrong in anything that he said. It um, was on point with everything. I just found that there was a couple of, and when I've seen him speak at other things, that there's a couple of times where he's maybe talking slightly out of context in terms of how we understand the application of the thing that he's talking about. And that's, that's a miscommunication on both our parts.
0: Yeah. Contextualizing the conversation, right? Um, I do this a lot, um, especially um anybody who listens to the podcast here or any of the eyelet stuff knows that i don't go into religion or politics because <laughs> it's like a no-win scenario right yeah um, but when i have those conversations on my personal life i always start the conversation especially if i know me and the other person on are on opposite ends of the spectrum i say let's set a let's set some ground rules here what are yeah. our definitions what do we agree to be the 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 foundation for what we're going to build this conversation or discussion on um key terminology and understanding yeah. because if you don't have that to begin with you could literally talk for hours and go, not get anywhere because yeah. you ha- you you were talking about what you thought the other person understood but yeah. they were thinking something completely different
1: yeah 100 um, and yeah. so
0: that kind of goes into what you had just said that if you yeah. are going to be talking um with a prosecutor whether it's a da or you're even talking to an ag in the u.s um, or in Canada with a crown, that you set that level where it's like, all right. So let's let's clear some things up here. This is this is what I believe this to mean. Yeah. Oh, you believe it to mean that? Okay. So that's if I reference yeah. this, this is what I mean when I say that. And great, then they go, oh, great okay.
1: point. Yeah, great and point. Especially how
0: that productive conversation.
1: Yeah, especially for um, you know any sort of inquest or um, you know oversight investigation. Um, certainly in court prep, it doesn't matter where you are in North America or, or the world, really, when you're prepping for court, um, you really want to make sure that the crown attorney, because let, let's be honest, we're not always going to get Vince Parisi, right? We're sometimes going to get a junior crown on a smaller case that doesn't know the things that Vince and some of his colleagues would know. Um, that if you don't take the time to prep with that crown attorney to understand exactly what you're saying here's what this means here's what i understand about knock you know announced unannounced here's what i understand about this these are what all these things mean to me are we on the same page so that you don't get led down the wrong path by the crown inadvertently um, when you start to testify now you're going to be spinning your wheels trying to backtrack out of that and, and articulate it properly which again goes back to practicing articulating what you've done and why you've why you did it kind of thing
0: Yeah, you brought up you brought up inquiry. I'm like again, there's there's one person that both of us know, um, that is now on an inquiry panel um, with what happened Um, um, out on the East Coast with that active shooter last year. Yeah. Um, And I'm excited to to have that conversation with him when that actually wraps and we can talk about it, because I think that's another great conversation. Because on that in that inquiry, you have people from all different walks of life. Obviously, he's coming from the the tactical uh, background and law enforcement background, but you have civilians in there, you have yep. lawyers, you have everybody and their dog. Uh, they pretty much threw the kitchen sink at it, um, and it'll be interesting to see what the context of those conversations were, because I think that's I think that's one of the biggest issues that we have today as a society as a whole is that we don't start our conversations with here's the baseline. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And and then like you have these just for, I, man, I can't tell you how many times I'll have personal conversations with people and 30 minutes and I'm like, hang on a second. <laughs> Do yeah. you mean this? Yeah. And they'll be like, yeah. And I'll be like, okay, I gotcha. So yeah. let me explain where now I'm coming from now that I understand the context of what you're talking about. Yeah. Um, and that happens all the time with me. Right. And I'll, yeah. I'll literally stop a conversation in its tracks and be like, whoa, whoa, whoa time out. Like something does something's not match, especially if, if you, you find you're just like banging your head against the wall in a conversation. I always find it's like, OK, stop. Let's let's track back and let's let's see if we can figure out where we went wrong here.
1: Yeah. Um, and imagine in in any industry, um, but in our, you know, in mine specifically and in your military career where, you know, lives are in, in the balance here um, potentially. Right. And if the language we're using to get people to execute certain actions is misunderstood by the people giving those directions, um, you know, there's huge risk attached to that. I've seen it in our organization where, um, again, with all good intentions, higher commanders are referencing and using tactical language that is so far out of context that exactly what you're saying, you have to call a full stop and just say, hang on. What you're saying actually means this. Did you know that? No, I thought it meant this. Okay, so moving forward, you need to know that what you just said will activate these following actions. Oh, and people's faces go white. Right. But, it, you know, again, it's not It's not done with any malice. It's a lack of understanding. It's a lack of communication. I would say on some people's part, it's a lack of effort, given what your role is as a higher commander, to understand The roles of people below you and i know that's kind of an arduous mountain to climb but to understand hey if i'm in charge of a tactical unit as an inspector or a staff sergeant and i don't have that in my background it's not in my toolkit i better understand the things that i'm telling them to do or i better understand the language that they're feeding me when i'm going to approve things like that that becomes really important and i and i I don't know that it happens enough, right? There's a lot yeah. of good intention, but a There's, lot of poor follow Yeah, it's
0: it's like it's like here's your it's like here's your dictionary, right? It,
1: yeah.
0: Somebody hears something fu- cool, and they're like, "Ah, oh, so once you guys make entry, we want you to neutralize all threats." Yeah. Time out.
1: <laughs> what, what does that mean to you sir what do you
0: mean yeah. what yeah. do you mean by neutralize? because yeah. i think you and i have a different opinion as to what that means
1: well i'll give you a, i'll give you an example and i can use this because the the person and i won't use names but the person's long retired um but internally in our unit uh we had a code word that we used to use it's since changed that initiated a sniper response without the sniper having to see or build any articulable grounds as to why they were going to shoot and kill somebody um, and the reason that that policy existed and still exists is that there's been countless cases happen across north america where i don't have time as the negotiator or the commander to tell you everything that i know you can't see from where you are but i need you to stop that person right now because if you don't something bad's going to happen to the hostage or the victim or whatever so the code word was something that we practiced regularly on scenario training days the snipers would deploy and it was a way for the staff sergeants to practice giving that order so they would be following along with negotiations and some information would come out and then they would have to decide is this the right time to give that order so i did i distinctly remember it happened to me and one of the other snipers on another team on his training day i'm in the command post we're in a confined little training area And as I'm stepping out the back door, okay, staff, I'm deploying now I'll be Sierra whiskey and I'm stepping out the back door and he's like, Hey, uh, code word orders in effect. And I looked at him and I went, huh? And he went, yeah. And he said it again. And I went, okay. And as the scenario was unfolding, as I was stepping out of the back of the command center, I was 150, 200 yards away from the front door of the the target address and the bad guy came out the front door. I dropped to a knee, fired a blank round, and ended this scenario. Well, the back door of the truck flies open. He's like, hey, what are you doing? I'm like, you just told me to do that. No, I didn't. I'm like, oh, hang on for a second. bunch of other things happen. The following day, same scenario, different guy. He comes into the station with the staff sergeant, and he says, and at the time I was helping conduct sniper training for our unit, so I was very familiar with our manuals. And he says, Pete, tell the staff that what he just said, this, this phrase, let's say it's token. It wasn't, but he said token. What does that mean? And I'm like, yeah, that means as soon as you have eyes on the target, shoot them. And the staff looked at me, he goes, no, it doesn't. And I said, staff, it absolutely means that. No, it doesn't. So I grabbed a sniper, like one of our training manuals, flipped to the page in the manual. And I said, you might want to reread this page before you say that word again. And his face went stark white. He's like, I had no idea that that's what that meant. And I said, Well, Okay, but what did you think it meant? Like, it's your job to know what this means. And and you know, he's a he's a great guy, well-meaning, longtime guy from our unit. And his his response was like, I should have known. I thought it meant this, and and I don't know why I didn't know it meant something else. Well, the, the can you imagine on a live call how bad that could have been?
0: That was- Yeah, that would have gone real, real swimmingly.
1: Yeah. Okay. Now, now I'm justifying this. Like, you know, so, you know, having those, it's great to have good intentions. Everybody has them. I don't think there's too many people in our business that have bad intentions in terms of not doing their job or not understanding. But, you know, I think if you're going to come in without that in your background, even if you have, like I have 20 plus years in, in tactical work. If I was to leave for a period and a period of time and come back at a different role uh, and a different rank, it's incumbent upon me to make sure I'm conversant in what's current, not on what I knew when, not on what I think I know about what's now, but to be like understanding of what is current. Okay, what is our current phrasing for certain initiating certain action? I need to know that. Okay, I need to understand why it changed and what it changed to. Um, But if you didn't have that in your toolkit before and you were put into a position like I know exists in other agencies where an inspector has authority over your operational plan to approve or deny certain actions, and they may not ever have had any of this training, I would say it's incumbent upon that person to know why they're approving or not approving certain things, to understand what the tactic is. To say to the inspector okay, this is basic tactical course day one. Here's what you would have learned on day one. And then I have to outline all of these things for them. They should be actively seeking out that information, just like all of us should be actively seeking out what's pertinent to what we're doing in our roles.
0: Yeah. It's such an interesting conversation, right? Because that happens all the time. Just people misunderstand the simplest, the simplest things. And you know, it's, um, and it happens not just for, you know, the, in the tactical realm, but oh. I mean, the same, same thing that happens, um, you know, I, there's no, I don't think there's an enough attention paid to, or enough, um, focus on our dispatchers. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and what they, what information they have and how they relay that to, any officer in the agency specific or specifically, you know, tactical teams. Cause I mean, I know it's different for you guys. You have your own, uh, your own person at the unit. So information gets relayed to them, that person then relays it back out to you guys and in, in the way that yep. you understand it. But for, for like general patrol officers, I think that's also another thing too. It's you know, where your information's coming from. And if you're identifying, and here goes into this whole leadership talk again, hmm. if, and 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 i think this is a key thing and i know a lot of people say this that everybody can be a leader but really the the truth is is that leadership doesn't mean a rank leadership doesn't mean command and control over other people right um and so if you're an officer and you're getting information and you have you have a pause or a reason to question that information it's it's imperative that you do that and it's not because it's not because you can't necessarily make that decision on the fly or make that change so that you walk away and that's good to go. The problem is, is if you don't identify why that happened, the next person that gets into that same position may not be able to do what you were able to do. Yeah, They may not have as much experience. And so maybe that's going to be a continuous cycle until something bad happens. Yeah, yeah. And I think that leadership component on everybody is, is it's incumbent upon us to say, hey, I've identified this issue at the very least. You know, tell staff, tell whoever, hey, Sergeant, this something happened on this call. I just want to brief you on it real quickly. Maybe you can take it up with somebody else at least. And but here's the thing. You know how we work here in Canada. Document, 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 right? Yeah, yeah. Identified, documented, told so and so at this time. um
1: to a fault yeah
0: they yeah. said i will take care of it like yeah, yeah. Verbatim, right okay perfect but yeah. it's it's one of those things right that that leadership component it's not it's not a rank it's not a position it's it's just as an individual officer you can show leadership at any point as long as you identify what happened and and try to course correct that before it happens to somebody else
1: i i think you're exactly right i you know the example that i've used before is Um, coaching kids hockey and you know depending on what level the kids are playing at you know everybody wants to be a captain or or an assistant and that doesn't always work out for everybody for different reasons a coach might pick a different leader set uh, leadership group and it might be because three of the kids are coaches kids or something but what I'll say to them is it doesn't matter whether you have a letter on your jersey or not leadership is about the things that you do as a person that leads a team or a group or one other person through something, you know, I I think you're right in a way that, um, not everybody's going to be a leader. Not everybody has leadership qualities beyond the, like I can lead us through this right now, I'm going to make decisions and we're going to move forward. You know, again, I think leadership is, is a lot more than just what's happening in the now. Um, but I think leadership is incumbent upon everybody on a team. Whether that's a platoon of 20 people and, and somebody's got two weeks on the job, but they have other life skills that they can add to the, the improvement of that team, that platoon. Uh, when we're talking about tactical teams, we never used to ask new guys, you know, hey, where did you come from? What do you do in your background? Like, what are your hobbies? That kind of stuff. I, I was reading in a, in a book and I wish I could remember the name of it, but um, I believe it's the, in the Green Berets. When they get a new guy to their ODA, the first thing they do is an info dump. Like what, what else do you do that you're good at? And the story that, as I read it was uh, a guy was like a former pro motocross racer and that ODA was getting ready to ship over to a a desert environment. And they're like, well, could we use motocross bikes in our role over there? And he's like, yeah, hundred percent. We would just have to change the mufflers and the catalytic converters and the filters and whatever, but we could do it this way okay, you're going to go and talk to the mechanics and you're going to make that happen. And then you're going to run training for the entire ODA before we deploy, you know, leveraging the skills that new people have and that they bring to you. That's a leadership opportunity for that person. And the goal is to make your team or your unit or whatever better. Well, why wouldn't you ask those questions? Why wouldn't, you know what? And sometimes you're going to find out that, yeah, man, you're really great at coloring in the lines. That's, that's not going to help us tactically. Um, but you, but you might find out something that, that does like the guy was a high level, uh, high angle rescue person in their, in their side career or an arborist or something. And, and they're used to working at height on ropes and, and planning for those kinds of things. Well, that might come in really handy for the things that your team does and your repel program within your organization. Um, I don't think we should miss those opportunities early on to, to find that out.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. And that kind of goes into another conversation I had a while back, which is agencies that aren't utilizing the, the what they have in their rank and file when it comes to filling specialty positions, mm. right? Um, the one that came up, um, this was over a year ago now, um, uh, a team was, was going through selection, um, having a hard time filling spots. They're like, ah, nothing really here is working. Um, But there was a person who wasn't eligible for selection because they didn't have the requisite amount of time in on patrol. um, But they had just left a 15 year military career as a tier one breacher. Hmm. And they're like, well, at what point do you say uh, there's the benefit kind of outweighs the risk of him not having the patrol experience when you have somebody who has more live direct action experience than anybody we've ever had before? Like, you you know, it's it's an interesting conversation
1: yeah, it's interesting because we've had guys try out for our our unit as well that were um, XSF from one level or another in other places. Um, and, you know, the thing that we've often said is that's amazing and you would absolutely add value to what we do here. But let's recognize that it's kind of apples and oranges a little bit. You know, the things that you could do in that world, you can't do most of them here. But for a person like that that's a breacher, um, would obviously have some value. The thing that, that I, th- I think, so re- recruiting's hard. Like I, Our last couple of selection drives were really, really low numbers. And we have some significant vacancies coming down the pipe that we're going to have a hard time filling because people either aren't applying or aren't getting through our selection process. And so we're having to do, and I've been part of some of the conversations to kind of review why we do certain things in selection, what the actual benefit is, and do we maybe want to modify a few things? And, you know, some of that goes into what we, you were mentioning at the beginning, the tactical fitness piece and functional fitness piece, but um, it's a lot more than that even, but, you know, the benefit that gets lost on some people that may come from these backgrounds uh, you know, SF guys, or, you know, people with military, long military careers would have an obvious impact in our unit. Um, but we're in policing and I need you to be a good cop first. Mm -hmm. You know, that it would be easy to say if a, um, JTF two assaulter dropped out of the air and landed in your organization and he's got all kinds of experience. The easy thing to say would be put him on the tactical team. Yeah, he'd probably be really good at it. He may not be really good at the policing side of some of the things that we have to do. He may not be good at the articulating in terms of um, court proceedings and stuff. He might be, but he, but he might not be. The other thing for him, again, when we talk leadership opportunities and, and development of people. Um, I think that person misses a whole bunch of really great opportunities at starting in an organization as a patrol officer and then seeing what other things they might wanna do. I've heard a story and it might be a wives tale of an ex-tier one guy that works for a local um, police agency uh, near Toronto that was like adamant, no, I don't even want to go to the tactical team. Like I've done that. I've, I've done it at a different level and I'm happy being a traffic officer and had a whole articulation as to why something in their personal life that led them like, no, this is how I want to impact people now is by doing this and doing this really well. Um, so, you know, I think in terms of the development of a whatever your agency is, officer for your agency, regardless of their past skill set, they should get that experience of being a frontline officer. The thing that I think we missed to speak to your point is, okay, we really want to attract that person to our unit. And he has an obvious skill set that we can use today. So let's find a way to get him up here to teach us some of the things that he already knows so that we can leverage each other. And now we can steer him to our pipeline as he gets his, you know, certification levels, like his uh, graduated constable levels in our organization. Um, And then, and then we can drive him in our pipeline if that's what he really wants to do.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that's a, that's a great point is utilize them for the the skills that they can impart. And, and you know, there, there's not, there's no rule out there saying that somebody can't come in at, well, I mean, Shit, you guys. Um, you know, I came in. I'm not a tactical guy. Yep. I came in, and you know, there's there's training that we conduct that it's beneficial. And it's the idea is, and I think this is the the misconception is that, especially the really high level teams, they want to get they get information from everywhere, everywhere, yeah, right. It, it's like a yep. giant sponge. It's like yeah. you have something to show me, show me, yeah, <laughs> like,
1: yeah. Like and you should media, be.
0: It's like. Fire, through a fire hose information, right? Yep. Because that, that's, it's the best way to do it.
1: that. And that's a little bit of that nimbleness, right. Of being able to say, okay, uh, that looks like something we can use. Let's go look at it. Or let's hear from that person. Yep. We can use that. Let's adapt it to our use. Um, you know, there was a period of time in, in our organization, in our unit where I, I had heard bosses say, well, we're so-and-so and um, we don't take courses from other people. We teach courses. And to a man, the the guys on the teams were floored to hear people saying that. Like, what do you mean? Like, I want to go learn from the guys at X, Y, or Z. I want to go to that agency down in the, down in the U.S. because they're doing something that we're not doing. You know, the other thing about nimbleness, I think, is it's really easy to rest on your laurels, to sit back in your comfy chair in your, in your tack office and say, yeah, we are really good at this guys. And um, so we're just going to keep doing everything that's in this little box. We don't need to adapt. We don't need to look down the road. The problem with that is that I'm finding in, in our organization is that everybody else is looking down the road. Everybody else is looking to protect their empire and steal a little sliver of what it is that you do in your business. And eventually some of those jobs will bleed off to other people. An example would be pre taser going service wide in our organization. We were doing our, our call volume was 80% uh, emotionally disturbed persons or, or barricaded people calls because we were the only guys that had tasers to the point where we were walking around downtown in our city on the weekends to supplement the uniform response to our entertainment district because we were the only guys that had tasers fast forward to taser going service-wide we don't get even close to the same amount of volume for emotionally disturbed people that we used to get Or persons in crisis we're calling them now but we don't even get close to the same volume because now they have a tool to do that so we've kind of lost that job which is okay like we we may be, we were the hammer when you didn't need a hammer. Um, but we have to be nimble enough to look down the road and say, okay, what other application of policing can we put our skill set into? Can we provide close protection for undercover operations? Can we provide um, close protection or cat services to VIP protection? How can we get into that game if you're not already in it? But looking at the landscape and saying things are changing, we're losing some of the things that we used to be able to do. Um, The legal landscape is changing, so our ability to do some other things is going to be restricted. Okay, let's be nimble. Let's look at what we're good at and how can we apply that to another area of policing. Um, And I I think that's part of being nimble as well.
0: Absolutely. I I love that. What's coming up next for you, dude? Like, I mean, COVID's still a thing, apparently. Um, yeah, I know. I know Quebec's getting hit hard. They just they're just shutting. I think they're just going to shut the province down. I don't know what they're doing there. Yeah. Um, what What does it look like for you guys? Are the are the are the teams in your area? Are they still doing all right with this, or is there has there been a, an effect or a, a, some type of change that's made it more difficult?
1: I'll tell you the big the hardest thing on us has been um, the ability to train. I think uh, for two years, you know, training has been this kind of. On the gas off the gas um you know there's so much unknown about COVID and the spread and and everybody has an opinion about vaccines or not to vaccinate um and and i'm i'm not here to speak about people's views on that kind of stuff again it's like politics um but all of these things have had an impact on our ability to train within our own unit let alone with the units around us and i think that's been a pretty big problem i think You know, I I really do think, and this isn't me blowing smoke up your tail there, Adam, that um, things like virtual conferences and virtual training of any kind um, are probably the way of the future in in this business and probably in many others. Um, Yeah, there's there's nothing going to beat hands on um, range time, hands on scenario time. Nothing, nothing will ever replace that completely. But I think if we can get to a place where we can do more effective training virtually, um, that will benefit us, but I don't know that we've gotten there. Um, you know, recently there's been some outbreaks on the teams within our own unit, um, and trying to navigate how to keep the teams apart from each other. So we don't have spread through the entire unit so that we can still maintain our minimum staffing and business continuity has been difficult. Um, We'll see how that goes. I I think a lot of things are going to get put on pause here again over the holidays. That's just speculation. Um, But I think at some point we got to find a way beyond COVID to get back to, and I'm not just talking about for, for tactical folks, but you know, the uniform folks that are losing out on their annual training that, you know, they get once a year, they get a couple of days like that's, that is invaluable. Um, you know, uh, we got to find ways to get that to people outside of our training academies and our colleges. Um, I, you know, personally, I'm, I'm waiting for a promotion that should happen in the next month or so. So I'll be leaving the tactical world for a while. Um, but one of the things that I look at is how can I use all of my experience and things that I've learned in this role and apply that to dealing with people uh, frontline in the uniform role? And one of the things that I, I keep talking about, I, I actually talked about it in my promotional interview, was we have to start using the time that we have with people to train in unconventional ways. And so that might mean, you know, when we're parading people for shift, that we're not rushing them out the door, that we're keeping some people back, that we're doing something virtually, that we're covering off the things that they need to have training on that they're not getting enough of because we're canceling uh, in-person training at our colleges simple things like reps on handcuffing and, and control techniques that they don't, you know, frontline cops aren't getting enough time in that Um, communication skills, negotiation skills, um, you know, knowing their, their policies and procedures. Like we have to find a way to do this outside of the in-person setting in a classroom.
0: Yeah. Those um, the idea of extended briefings is something that we've been bouncing around for a while um, where, you you do your brief uh, at the beginning of shift, and like you had said, take fifteen extra minutes and run somebody through some training. Right? You yep. don't have to book days off. You don't have to pay overtime. Yeah. It's here's here's a uh, and and as we know from adult learning, you know, if I give you a little, a lot, it's going to work better than if I just try to fire hose information into you in a handful of days once a year.
1: A hundred percent. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Five or ten minutes you know, on a specific topic, and we cover more things more frequently, uh, I agree, would have a huge upside for everybody. I mean, you know, we, we talk in, you know, in life, but in, in policing a lot, we talk about wellness and the mental health of our people that are working for us. And um, I know you have uh, a vested interest in, in people's mental health as well. You know, and I, I think what's more important health wise for our folks is it more important that we rush them out there to the low priority calls that might be pending on the screen or is it more important that we we take five or ten minutes as part of parade or at the end of parade and we talk to them uh, we hear their concerns um, we spend a little bit of time training on the things that they tell us that they need more training on or that we identify they need more training on like those things i think can go to helping with their mental health and you know we talk about burnout rates and um, people off with pts or ptsd um i think these are little things that we can do to help everybody's so ham- hamstrung by these restrictions that we got to find a way be nimble to work around and within these restrictions
0: mm-hmm. no, absolutely well dude i appreciate the hell of you taking the time and, and sitting down and talking with me today i know as well uh, it was a long a long time coming, um, but we were able to do it. And, yeah. you know, this, this summer, I'm going to have the chance. I'll be back down there with you and um, hopefully we'll get some range time in. I'll show you a thing or two. Please, and, do. Uh, <laughs> Please do.
1: I'm starting to forget everything.
0: Right. That's right. That's right. Yeah.
1: Um,
0: and uh, no, man, I'm excited to, to continuously work with you and obviously with, with your agency and things like that, you know, we're, we're the balls, the ball's moving now. And, and this is stuff that people are starting to pick up more on. So. Um, I appreciate your support for the podcast for ILAT and everything. And, uh, thanks for what you do for, for your city and and with your department, brother, really appreciate it.
1: Well, listen, I got to tell you, so first of all, thanks for your kind words. Um, listen, I really do appreciate the hell out of you and what you're doing. Um, I think, you know, that I've told you that before, but, um, this, this network that you're building, I think is invaluable. So, uh, please keep up the good work. Um, you know, the, the last thing I'll say is, if there's anything I've said that somebody wants to question or have a further conversation on, um, reach out to Adam. He can connect you to me. Um, I'm, I'm happy to talk about anything that I said today or anything else anybody wants to talk about. Um, and if somebody just needs to talk, I know you you say this all the time, Adam, but I'm here to listen to anybody that might be dealing with something. They just need to talk to somebody. i um, happy to do that for anybody that's out there. And, and like I say, uh, I, I'm open to any conversation in, on any of these things or anything else, so I appreciate you uh, having me on, Adam, and uh, I really enjoyed it. Right on, dude. We'll talk to you soon. You bet, pal. Thanks very much.
0: Join the Ilet Network now. Go to Network. That's I-L-E-T.network.